Mom has been so excited to hear all of these stories this evening. It's been such an encouragement to me. But it's not really fair to make someone sing after those stories. I'm getting all choked up. <laughs> but you know, I was thinking about those angel stories and, and, and then talking about their, how there are angels in that prayer room. And you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to about heaven is meeting my guardian angel and being able to, to talk with him and, and find all of those times that he was there that I, I didn't know or didn't realize, I didn't think about it. But there's so many things that I'm, I'm excited about for heaven. And I hope that this song will bring you a little bit closer to heaven tonight.
Evening. Evening. Thank you, Calvin. <laughs> and uh, it's very good to be here. I'm just so uh, excited. Amazing Facts can be connected with this Army movement. And uh, we're, we're um, just inspired to see this many people on a Thursday night. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And uh, it's a privilege to be here with you. Um, this whole conference is really about the Word of God and the power of God's Word to transform our lives and, and that's something I can get, a, I can get behind because um, as you just heard, it wasn't too far from here. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got on Google, uh, what do you call it, Google Earth and um, got an aerial view of Pine Springs Ranch and then where the cave is and I was trying to measure the distance but I don't think I'm gonna make it there tonight. And, and, uh, <laughs> And it's pretty cold out there. But um, it is good to be with you and, and uh, am delighted to have this opportunity to talk to you about the Bible. Something we were toying with, now I want to respect the time. I'm looking at my watch and I know 8.30 we want to, uh, well I know that you have to pick up your kids at 8.30. And while it's true that the truth will set you free, it will not set you free from your kids at 8.30. And so... <laughs> I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to go too far over that, but we, we're talking about maybe even just dedicating some time. You know, every Sunday night, um, Pastor Ross and I, sometimes we have guest speakers that, that do it with us. We do a Bible answer program where we just open up the lines and take people's Bible questions. And we were thinking maybe we'd do that for a few minutes tonight, but uh, uh, you know, we, I didn't give anyone a lot of warning about how to do it. We are recording the programs. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, we don't have a roving microphone. One way we might do it is if you can ask a question that you can summarize in a sentence, I will repeat it and then do my best to ask it. Now, it's got to be a Bible question. And uh, would you like to take a couple minutes and, and do that? Okay. So, uh, and I'll tell you right up front, disclaimer, I don't have all the answers. But... Um, uh, we do this in our AFCO program, and sometimes the AFCO students, I get some really good answers from just listening to them. And so it's a learning experience for me. But if you've had some Bible questions, maybe you've come with, and, and you wanted to ask some, or is some, the Holy Spirit's been just troubling you about one thing, just don't ask me who Cain married. We get that question every week. You ought to know the answer to that if you're at Army Bible Camp. Can you hear me? You can't hear me. Do I have to repeat everything I just said <laughs> since I got up here? Is that better? Well, I moved it up and they turned it up, so. All right. Did you hear me say anything about maybe you'd like to ask some Bible questions? <laughs> you, did, you did hear that part. Maybe you don't want to ask any Bible questions. I don't know. I, I just thought we'd throw that out there and see what happened and uh, give you an opportunity. Um, do something unscripted like that and uh, the Holy Spirit can lead and then there's other spirits out there too. So you never know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you had any questions. Seen, all right, we got one hand here, yes. Uh, could you explain Romans 14, 5 and 6? Romans 14, 5, please explain Romans 14, 5 and 6. I'll do my best. If you've got your Bibles, turn there real quick. One person esteems one day above another. Another one esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats to the Lord, I'm sorry, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Now, in Romans, Paul is dealing with uh, a few issues, and this could be a lengthy answer, and I don't want it to be. Um, there were more Gentile Christians 
accepting Jesus now than Jewish believers. The church started out with predominantly Jewish believers. And now Paul largely became uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentile church was exploding. The Jewish culture, well, the Jewish believers were saying, you can't eat these foods that have been sacrificed uh, maybe to idols in the marketplace or have been offered to various gods, and you need to keep the Jewish feast days. And Paul was saying, look, if you want to keep these annual feasts, keep it to the Lord. Don't push that on others that may not be uh, convinced about that or convicted about that. Uh, if you're going to do it, do it to the Lord. If you feel convicted about eating things that were sold in the shambles, then don't eat it. And Paul later said, don't ask where it was bought for conscience sake, if it's going to bother you. And so he's, I think, dealing with these issues here for the Romans. You, you'll notice you don't find the word Sabbath anywhere in the chapter. Some have tried to make this deal with the Sabbath day. Can you imagine any pastor, Sunday pastor, Sabbath pastor, can you imagine a Sunday pastor saying to his congregation Sunday morning, if you want to regard the day of the Lord, you go ahead and come to church. If you don't, you stay home. Let everyone be persuaded. You're never going to hear him interpret it that way. You know what I'm saying? So Paul is obviously not saying that. He's talking about these annual feasts that the dedicated Jewish Christians were impressing on the Gentiles. And uh, do we have some in our midst sometimes that do the same thing today? So another question? I like that because it was short and I was able to read the verse. Got a hand there? Oh, that scares me. I don't know what it is. That's what scares me. Isaiah 45, 7. Let me elaborate on that. Yeah, I need to repeat the question. I'm sorry. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do these things. Now, some people have wondered, I thought every good and perfect gift comes from God. How can God say, I create evil or calamity? In the book of Job, and you could also take that verse in the Bible where it says, an evil spirit came from the Lord and harassed Saul. Does an evil spirit come from God? Or that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? All these questions are really related. That is God the author of evil? You know, I like to answer this question by looking at the example in the book of Job. Uh, from an earthly perspective, when all these terrible things happened to Job, what were Job's friends saying to Job? God did these things to you to punish you because you did something wrong. But what the book of Job does for you and me is it pulls a veil back and we see what's really happening is there's a devil who's going down like a roaring lion. He's come down with great wrath. But there are limitations to what the devil can do. God has set a hedge of protection around his children. Sometimes the devil will campaign to uh, do things against us like he did in the book of Job, but God must really withdraw his, his hedge, his protection from us at that time for him to get at us. So you could say it was God's fault that all these bad things happened to Job. Couldn't you say that? Mm -hmm. Might you'd be wrong, but you could say that. Wouldn't that be a human perspective? I mean, if, if the devil had to kind of go to God and get God's permission, so this is really a, a very big, deep question dealing with the sovereignty of God. But only good comes from God. God sometimes withdraws his protection and bad things happen. As a matter of fact, we often ask the question this way. Why do so many bad things happen in our world if God is good? We're asking the wrong question. This world's been kidnapped by the devil. The devil has claimed it as his dominion. Even Jesus called him the prince of this world. We ought to be asking, why do so many good things happen to us in this wicked world? God has intruded his goodness in our lives and his blessings. And so you know, Isaiah has a lot of poetic things to say, and the wording can be confusing there. I don't know if that helped or made it worse. I see a question here. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three through chapter three, chapter three two. two to five. And that we might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. 
And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. And, and your question about the verse? Is that like a promise that the Lord can, keep, can give us the strength to keep from sin? Oh, absolutely. And there's many others. Or of course, you've got the promise. Is this a promise that the Lord can keep us from sinning? Well, yeah, there are many exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature and unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and all things are possible with God. You know, the way I like to ask this question, again, I like to turn things around. And um, instead of saying, can God, you know, can we be perfect? People like to ask her, you know, can God help us overcome every sin? I like to ask, what sin can he not give a person victory over? And if you believe, now keep in mind, I always, I always feel awkward, I'll be very honest with you, talking about Christian perfection because I'm afraid someone's going to say, are you per perfect? And my answer would be no. But as a Christian, my example is perfect and that's my goal. And I believe that I can be like Christ and that's what sanctification is all about. Of course, you're perfect when you're justified as soon as you pray and confess your sins. But um, I like to ask the question this way. If you believe the devil is able to tempt you to sin, and you don't believe that Jesus can keep you from sin, you in essence have a more powerful devil than Savior. And so I believe that Christ can keep us from sinning. By the way, there's a good book by Joe Cruz. It's an old book, but it's still true. And it's called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? The title scares people, but it's a well-written book. And you can read it for free on the website. Is it possible to live without sinning? I put my plane on autopilot years ago and read that book. <laughs> and it, it was wonderful. Uh, another, maybe we'll just take one or two more. I see a hand here th first, I think. Isaiah 28, verse 9 and 10. I should have known at an Army Bible camp you'd ask some tough questions. All right, here we go. Whom will he teach knowledge, and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Well, I think that's really the principle for understanding uh, truth, is we compare a scripture with scripture. It's not just from one scripture, it's in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I get questions frequently about women and their hair based on 1 Corinthians 11. You know, is it wrong, or is it 1 Corinthians 14? It talks about a woman praying with her head uncovered or should a woman uh, cut their hair? And there's a verse that read by itself, whole churches have built, you go to a lot of Pentecostal churches, all the women wear shawls or even the Orthodox churches. And you know, that's one of those nebulous verses, but my answer would be, where are the other verses? You need two or three witnesses if you're gonna build a doctrine. And so um, you compare scripture with scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. By the way, in Daniel chapter 12, every evangelist loves to use that verse where it says, many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. We always talk about high-speed transportation in the last days. But running to and fro for Daniel is also going back and forth through the Bible. And uh, Daniel did that. Uh, Daniel 9, he studies the books of Jeremiah and discovers the 70 years are up. All right, maybe one more question, and then uh, I think someone over here had a hand up, over here in Green Shirt. Yeah, um, Luke 22, 36, here over here in Army Camp, I was really concerned about that. that Luke 22, is that about the sword? Yes. Luke 22, verse 36, okay. And Jesus said, but he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise a sack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now Jesus, I think, is speaking, speaking in spiritual terms here, and this is actually part of my message tonight, talking about the weapons of um, the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is a weapon. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, it's uh, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus is seen in Revelation with a sword coming out of his mouth. 
Ephesians chapter 6, and the word of God, which is the sword. Uh, so when Jesus talks about getting rid of your garment and getting a sword, you know, I see some analogies in there. Our garments are like filthy rags, and we take the sword of truth. Now, they misunderstood what Christ was saying, because you read on here, and um, then they said to him, verse 38, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And people think, oh, they're going to take on the Roman army with two swords. Now, I don't think the disciples realized they were even speaking in spiritual terminology. A lot of times in the Bible, someone spoke, and they didn't even realize it was a prophecy, so to speak. Um, when the high priest said, do you know nothing at all but that it's expedient one man should perish to save the whole nation? He had no idea he was uttering a prophecy that Christ would perish to save the whole nation. And uh, well, there's a lot of examples of that. When Jesus said, it is enough, they were thinking of earthly swords. They said, oh Lord, we got two swords. When Jesus said, it is enough, translated from the, the language of the day, that would be enough of this. In other words, you're not getting it. You remember when they were crossing the sea and Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples are thinking, you know, he just multiplied the bread. Maybe we forgot bread again. You guys got any bread? And, and Jesus said, don't you get it? And so sometimes he rolled his eyes exasperated and he would say, it is enough. And here he said, don't you know, Peter, I can call 12 legions of angels to deliver me. You guys with two swords are going to do it? And your fisherman? Peter tries to use his sword and he misses and he cuts off an ear. Well, you know, if you send fishermen out to try and take on the Roman army and all they can do is get an ear, <laughs> you, you know, the, he, Jesus was not endorsing taking up of swords to fight his battles because he later told Peter what? Put up your sword. They that live by the sword will die by the sword. So when he was speaking about swords, Jesus was speaking, I think, in symbolic terms there. All right? Um, tell you what, why don't you turn with me to the book of Mark, since we're talking about uh, these issues in the Word of God. I'd like to take a few minutes and talk to you about hunger, food, bread, and the Bible. Luke, I'm sorry, Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Now I had something, I've been working for days on a whole different message, and just in my room, I was on my knees praying, and I just felt impressed to kind of change gears. And so uh, I hope that was the Holy Spirit that told me to do that. I didn't hear an audible voice. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both of what they had done and what they had taught. They'd been out on an evangelistic uh, expedition. And he said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while which is something like what we're doing here. For there were so many coming and going that did not even have time to eat. They didn't have time to feed themselves. So how well can you feed others if you don't feed yourself? You know, I've heard at times about doctors in emergency rooms that work so long, especially when they're going through their internship that they just, their eyes start to get bleary. And you wouldn't want anyone doing any critical surgery on you if they hadn't slept and taken care of their own basic physical needs in so long. And likewise, it's hard for you to do good work of evangelism with the Word of God if you're not feeding yourself. Immediately after it says they didn't have time to eat, it, it transitions into the next story. So they, they departed and came into a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and they ran there on foot. They're running around the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's not that big. And they arrived before he even came together to them. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when that day was now far spent, his disciples thought they were going on a vacation, and they still hadn't rested, and they still hadn't eaten, his disciples came to him, and they said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. You know, people aren't in the bazaar selling food after dark. If they're going to get something to eat, they better leave pretty quick. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy bread, for they have nothing to eat. 
you know, Jesus tells us that, um, and they didn't say, you know, see if they can find a good restaurant. They didn't say, you know, see if they could find um, a supermarket. Just see if they could find the most basic, bare, essential bread. So they have something to eat. Uh, you know, when I travel, sometimes strange things happen. And um, you, you don't always know where you're going to be when you fly. And sometimes, you know, there's no buffet waiting for you when you land and everything's closed. I've had that happen a few times. I try, I've got a packing list. It's like a checklist on an airplane. I've got a packing list because I forget things. I once had to preach in my suit and my tennis shoes because I forgot, <laughs> I forgot my shoes and, and just real basic things. And so I've got a list and on my list, I like to always take a couple of granola bars with me just in case. Or you're on that airplane and you said, could you please, this is long ago, you could ask for a veggie meal. And now it depends on what airline. Now, sometimes you might, you know, you don't know, you don't give me anything, peanuts. Matter of fact, on Southwest coming down, they asked me if I wanted my peanuts. I said, you bet I do. I still have them. <laughs> I've got them in my pocket back in my room. <laughs> I've learned those little bags of peanuts are precious. <laughs> if you haven't had anything, they look better and better every day. <laughs> just, but bread is just, you know, one of the most basic things in life. And Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the Lord's Prayer, when it says, give us this day our daily bread, do you really think that's just talking about praying that you'll have some wheat bread in your cupboard from day to day? And some of you, that probably is your prayer, and you'd be happy for the, the peanuts. But I think it's going way beyond that. Jesus, is, that prayer really is a pattern for all prayer. And every day we need to pray that God is going to give us our daily bread. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing to, to come here about what kind of words I could find to communicate to you what a treasure we have in these Bibles. Um, there is no book like the Bible. There is no book that has withstood the tests of history and science, of ethics and um, transformation and inspiration, and there is no book like the Bible. Think for a minute about how big God is. Think about the immensity of space. Think about somebody that is so powerful that they can be conscious of every single molecule or atom in every cell of every body, blade of grass, creature, all through the infinite universe. This is the ultimate smart being. Uh, there's no words. Awesome doesn't cut it. You know, kids sort of ruined the word awesome a few years ago. They just wore it out, but it would have been a good word. I mean, you know, all the words have been worn out by mass marketing. You can't, what are you going to call that? Jumbo? I mean, that's at 7-Eleven. I mean, there's no words that are left anymore to talk about how magnificent and incredibly powerful and limitless and um, omniscient God is. And for him to be able to speak things into existence. They've got this new theory out there called string theory. Have you heard about it? They, they, string theory, I probably ought to, I had something in my notes about this. On the program NOVA, they reported the newest research indicates that all life in the universe came from sound. According to string theory, absolutely everything in the universe, all of the particles that make up matter and force is comprised of tiny vibrating fundamental strings, sound. And it's interesting that Moses, with his limited education, would say, in the beginning, God said. And... The idea that we would have the words of God in our hand almost makes you want to drop your Bible. You think, I'm not even worthy to touch it. And it's frightening. You know, Martin Luther studied as a priest, and um, finally when it got to where he graduated as, as a priest, he was allowed to conduct his first mass. This is before he broke away from the, the church. 
and his father came to watch him conduct his first mass. Now, that's back when they believed in transubstantiation, where the priest actually was converting this little wafer of bread into the literal body of Jesus. And Luther got up there to utter these words in Latin and to take up this bread, and when it came time for him to say these words, he froze, and he panicked, and he couldn't speak. And his father was out there shifting back and forth, thinking, oh, my son is embarrassing himself. Here he's a priest. Everyone's waiting for him to make this utterance over the bread. And, and uh, I think finally, after a long, awkward silence, he mumbled through it, and pretty soon he fled from the, the chapel. Someone asked him later what happened. And he said, I just was absolutely overwhelmed with unworthiness when I thought here a sinful mortal was going to say some words and I was going to turn this into the, this bread into the body of Christ and then I would have the audacity to handle that and I was overcome with terror at the thought that I could touch the word of God. Now that's the kind of reference, you can understand Luther saying scripture only, the reverence he had for the word of God. Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone but by every word. You know, if I were to communicate something to you about the Bible, I would say you need to read it all the time. You need to believe it, and then you need to live it. We've got some people that are doing one of the three or two of the three, but you need all three. And living it is actually the most important. Some people have very little of the word, but they live all that they have. And then you've got people who are feasting like the rich man in the parable. The beggar desires the crumbs that fall from their table and he'll absorb them all. The rich man doesn't appreciate the treasure he's got. I feel like as a church, the Seventh-day Adventist church is like that rich man. Here we've got an abundance of truth and the people around us are starving for the truth that we have and we don't appreciate it. We don't realize, uh, you know, we cloister ourselves in our churches and our clubs and we don't realize people all around us are perishing for the knowledge of the truth we have. You know, Jesus, when he compared the word of God to bread, that was not an accident. Bread is the most fundamental thing in just about any home when it comes to food. It doesn't matter if you're in a castle or a palace I can almost guarantee that when it comes time to eat, somewhere on that table, there's gonna be bread, right? Or if you're in the poorest hovel, they're gonna have a tortilla or something <laughs> in that house, right? There'll be some bread. Matter of fact, you try to start a fast food chain without having bread somewhere on the menu. What would the pizza be without the bread? It'd be tomato soup, <laughs> the cheese, right? And now, you know, I go to Chipotle and I get the burrito bowl. I don't want the tortilla. I'm already full when I just, so, but even the rice is technically bread, right? Burger King, McDonald's, what would they do without the buns? People used to say, where's the beef? They'd say, where's the bread, right? I mean, it's so basic, you can scarce, Baskin Robbins, you, people put it in an ice cream cone. House of Pancakes, what would they do without bread? Can you make pancakes without bread? I'm just trying to help you realize Jesus picked the most fundamental thing when he said man can't live without bread. He didn't say you had to have apple pie. He could have said man can't live without peanut butter or something. He didn't say that. It hadn't been invented yet now that I think about it. But um, why did he say bread? Because it was so basic. And the Word of God must be that basic in our diet every day. Now, one reason I say that is because we're living in a day where people are, are not getting real bread. You know, I understand, and I might get my dates wrong, I think it was back before the 1920s when they developed the techniques for finally mass-producing white flour 
finely milled flour, removing the germ in the bran. They noticed about the same time they began to mass produce white flour. Everyone thought it was better, it was fluffier, it seemed lighter, it seemed like it tasted better. That coronary thrombosis began to skyrocket, heart disease. And they were trying to figure out what was causing it. And they finally de determined at least one thing was they had taken the vitamin E out of the bread when they processed it. And so people weren't getting the grists and the vitamins that they needed to utilize the bread they were eating. And they were just getting all the ca empty calories, really. They weren't getting the nutrition. You know, if you buy white bread now, the government requires it to be fortified. Because they found out that during the Great Depression, they were giving everybody white bread and they were coming down. Children were growing up with rickets because they were getting empty calories. It'll give you a sense of feeling, might even taste good in your mouth, but you can be malnourished at the same time. That can happen in churches where people can get the artificial sense that they're being filled, but they're not getting any nutrition. I think that we've become satisfied with mediocre truth. Who was it? Um, well, Isaiah said, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters, chapter 55. He that has no money, come ye, buy and eat. Why do you eat that which is not bread? It's, it's the bread without the nutrition in it. I read one time that um, you get that food pyramid where they talk about the most important things. And you've got, at the bottom of that list, you've got your carbohydrates and your, your bread is at the bottom, the foundation of that food nutrition pyramid. And then you go up and they've got the fruits and the vegetables, and I think that would probably be just as well on the bottom. And then they get the meats and the cheese and the dairy, and then they get the candies and the soda and the things on the top. Where do you think the majority of the advertising dollars goes in North America on that pyramid? 80% is spent on the top tier of the pyramid on selling junk. The government's finally realized that and they're talking about you know, everything they can do to get these fast food giants to start caring about nutrition. Same thing's happening in the church. You see, the fast food people exist because they know if they can just make it taste good, people really don't care whether it's gonna give them real health or not, most people. They just wanna know, does it taste good now? That's why they want fast food, I want it now. I want immediate gratification. People bring those attitudes into their church. And pastors, to keep them coming, feel they've got to accommodate. And so they design their messages to just make everybody feel good. It's all cotton candy. It's white bread. It's like Wonder Bread. When I was a kid, any of you remember the Wonder Bread commercials? Says, they used to show a little boy, I wonder how they did it. They got this boy and he showed him growing up and says, grows bodies 12 ways. What they should have done though is shown growing bodies 12 ways this way. <laughs> they never did that commercial. <laughs> you know, you can make that stuff bounce. You can ball it up. A little tip for any you know, odd jobs around the house. If you've got to plug your, your drywall and paint over it, you can ball up some of that Wonder Bread and plug it in there and paint over it. It'll last a thousand years. <laughs> And then if you have a famine, you could find those spots once again and probably. <laughs> well, you know, there is a famine. In the book of Amos chapter 8, it says, the days are coming. Why don't we look at it together? I saw you look down and I realize this is not like a lot of churches. I mean, you've actually got your Bibles. <laughs> the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'm going to send a famine on the land. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'll send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they'll wander from sea to sea, and from north to east they'll run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but not find it. And I always like to ask, is it possible to have a famine for the word of God while you're surrounded with Bibles? Can a person die of starvation while they still have a sensation of being filled? Yeah, can a person be eating and unhealthy? Yeah. 
Do you know that during the 1958 to 61, biggest famine in modern times was in China because of the Industrial Revolution, nobody was working and 30 million people starved. Those statistics didn't really come out until dialogue opened up with China. And the people during that time, they found there was clay that they could eat. There was actually some earth that was edible and they could eat it without it killing them. And it gave them a temporary sensation of being full, but of course there's no nutritional value to it. And I think a lot of people are, are struggling with the effects of a famine and we're just not really delving into the word. Ezra, probably knew the whole Old Testament by heart. J. N. Andrews, one of the founders in our church, someone asked him one time if he had memorized the whole Bible. He said, no. But he said, if they destroyed the New Testament, I could reproduce it. My next door neighbor, Wieland Henry III, memorized the entire New Testament. Uh, we had a boy stand up in our church one day who memorized the entire book of Daniel and Revelation. And we tested him right there in front of everybody. It was phenomenal. Now most good Amazing Facts evangelists have memorized all of the proof texts <laughs> of our message. But uh, are we really digging into the word the way we should? You know, someday we're gonna be challenged on our faith. We may not have a Bible in our hands. How did Jesus meet every temptation? It is written, it is written. Do you think he was digging around in his backpack for his iPad or his scrolls <laughs> to find those references? Or had he filled his mind with the word of God? He knew the word of God supernaturally because after all, he was the son of God. I don't think so. I think that Jesus knew the word of God the same way that you and I can know the word of God. Amen. That he had read it as a child. He had read it at his mother's knee. He studied it growing up. He was in the synagogue every Sabbath. He stood up to read the scriptures, the Bible says. And when that time of temptation came, the same Holy Spirit that reminded Jesus those passages in Deuteronomy will remind you. I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin. And it's not just to save us that we need to know our Bibles. It says we need to know our Bibles so that we are ready to give an answer to any man that asks us the reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. We need to know how to defend our faith. And that's why a program like this uh, I support and is so important. Where, and I'm thrilled with all these evangelism training programs that are popping up around the country where laymen are saying, I want to be equipped to share my faith. And we're meeting more and more people that are saying, you know, whatever I'm doing is my career, even in a bad economy. It's amazing. And the AFCO um, registrations are at record highs right now. Whatever I'm doing as a job, I want to put that on the side and I want to spend, whether it's a short program, 10 days or four months, I want to learn the word of God so I can share with my neighbors. I have a theory. It's not mine. I didn't originate it. I actually get it from HS, HMS Richard Sr., <coughs> that the work will never finish, he said, until all the pastors are in jail. Now, I don't know if they're all going to be in jail, but the theory is that there needs to be a revival of love for the Word of God among the people. And it may not come from the pulpit down. I think it's going to be the Holy Spirit impressing a hunger for the Word of God among the people. Now, I've been rambling on one verse, and I never go back to Mark. This is a good place for us to go on. What did the disciples say? People are hungry. Verse 36, these are the apostles. Send them away that they may go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. And what did Jesus say? You give them something to eat. Oh, tell them, go to the pastors. That's what they're for. Go to the priests. Go to the temple. We're fishermen. He says, you give them something to eat. Oh, you want to know Bible answer? I'll call my pastor. There's an evangelist in town. We ought to be able. Why? Why wouldn't we be able to? You know, I always am a little, I feel awkward confessing this, but I, I never really planned on being a pastor. I, not too far from here, found a Bible. First read it with great uh, skepticism because I thought the Bible was a collection of fables. 
And the Word of God is so powerful. I don't know how the Lord does it, but whether it's printed by a machine on paper, whether you see the digital pixels, whether it, you hear it's spoken or it's on a CD, the power in God's Word is supernatural. Amen. There's something to it. And as I read the Bible, it started to transform me. And I got so excited about the truth, I was telling everybody, and people were listening. And what amazed me is when I finally found an Adventist church, I'd already been telling everybody the message before I ever found an Adventist church, I was surprised the Adventists weren't excited about it. I really was, still am. And, well, not more excited, I should say. And, uh, you know, I ended up in Kovalo. Good, good to know there's so many people from Ukiah here. That's where we did all our shopping. And um, I was just a layman. I did mechanic work, sold firewood, and uh, various odd jobs. And I went to church every week, and I was sharing and studying with all my neighbors, and they started coming to church. And people kept saying, oh, Doug, you ought to be a pastor. I said, why do you say that? Because you're bringing people to the Lord, and you're studying the Bible with people. I thought, isn't everyone supposed to do this? <laughs> do we relegate that only to the pastors? And I always felt sort of embarrassed that I'm getting paid to do what I would have done for free. <laughs> and they're letting me do it full time, which is wonderful when you really think about it. Amen. My first evangelistic meeting, I was self-supporting. I was doing mechanic work in Texas and I talked the conference into lending me a tent and these people came and folks got baptized. And, and you know, what's interesting is the district pastor was Randy Roberts. He was a, an intern at that time. And they said, we got this character off there in Dickens, Texas. He's doing an evangelistic meeting. He's got all these people coming. He's in your district. You better go follow up. And I was uh, about 20 years old, maybe 22 years old at that time. And I thought, isn't this what we're all supposed to be doing? We're all supposed to be sharing our faith. I mean, you think about it. World's ending. People that don't have Jesus are going to die forever. People that do have Jesus are going to live forever. The serum for sin is in the gospel, which is in the Bible. If we don't tell people, we maybe either don't believe it or we don't care. And it's like there's, there's an urgency. At least we should feel some urgency and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? Amen. To know the word, to be equipped, and to be sharing. And don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, I'm just not ready, Pastor Doug. I've got to do a whole lot more Bible study before I'm prepared to... to get out there and I do believe training is very important but you know what you use what you do have and God will give you more and again I hesitate to say this the first few Bible studies I gave I knew almost nothing about the Bible but I was so excited about the crumbs that I had I was sharing it with everybody I met first few Bible studies I gave I was in my cave hikers came by and I was studying my Bible with them, and I had no clothes on. <laughs> and sometimes they had no clothes on. I know you're thinking, this is crazy. We were all hippies, you know? We were all recovering. And I, you know, I'm there, and they say, man, I've been reading this Bible. This is great. You'll go, wow, that sounds really great. You know? And I know, I'm sure it was distracting at times. But, you know, that's the thing. Can the Lord speak through a donkey? then who here has an excuse? Can the rocks cry out? The Lord can speak through us, you know, but I was willing. And, the, you know, the Lord said, the harvest is great, the labors are few, and the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro through the earth looking for labors. And he said, oh, he doesn't have any clothes on, but he's willing, you know. <laughs> and the Lord is so anxious to find people that are willing. And... For me, when, when God called me into ministry, and I do believe he called me, I don't want you to misunderstand, but to me it was a signal of the end. I thought, boy, the Lord is scraping the bottom of the barrel. If he's calling me to preach, things are worse than I thought. Back to, back to uh, our story. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said, where are we? How can we do that? They started looking at the problems. Where are we going to get... 200 denarii would not be enough to give him something to eat. He said, well, what do you have? Do you have anything? Do you have any crumbs? What do you have? And they found uh, a boy, of course. He said, five loaves and two fish. These are just little japatis and a couple of sardines. 
And he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, and he blessed it, and broke the loaves, and gave it to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all, and so they ate and were filled. Think about that. This is the pattern for soul winning. What do you have? Do you have anything? Do you have any crumbs? Do you understand anything about Jesus? Do you know a few verses? There's power in the Word of God. Just one or two verses can change a person's life. I think you maybe heard me share the story before where Whitfield was such a powerful preacher, they called him the trumpet of the Lord. And Franklin did an experiment one time where he thought he could hear him distinctly when he was preaching in Philadelphia a mile away. No artificial amplification. The guy just had a supernatural voice. And he would go through towns and all the saloons would close and just there were great revivals from the preaching of the Wesleys and George Whitfield in particular. And, and um, these guys in this bar one day were all talking. They said, you better not go here, Mr. Whitfield preacher. You're not going to be able to come back here anymore. And this guy said, well, I, I don't want to be convicted, but I want to see the man. I've heard so much about him. And so he went to one of these outdoor meetings that Whitfield was conducting, and he couldn't see. So he climbed up in a tree, and he kind of wrapped his legs around the tree, and he decided, I will plug my ears when he starts preaching because I don't want to hear him, but I want to see him. <laughs> so when he finally took the platform, he plugged his ears. Well, people all rode horses back then, and there were horse flies. And a horse fly, they bite. And a horse fly landed on his nose. And he went to slap away the horse fly, and he had to pull his fingers out of his ears. And right at that time, Whitfield said in his resonating, magnificent voice, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And the man was so overwhelmed with conviction that I think he fell out of the tree and got up converted like Zacchaeus. One verse. There's power in the Word of God. So bring your crumbs to Jesus. What will the Lord do? He blessed the bread. He gave it back to them so they could give it to others. And it never says where along the way, but if there are 12 baskets of leftovers, did the disciples ever get to eat? Starts out by saying they didn't even have time to eat. Jesus performs this miracle as they are giving away the bread to others. At one point, they must have sat down in these groups of 50s and 100s, and they got to eat 12 baskets of leftovers. It multiplied when they took their little bit and gave it to Jesus, and they were willing to give it away. People have been fooled into thinking that I've got a great memory for verses in the Bible. I don't. But when you're involved full-time in doing evangelism and giving Bible studies and preaching and studying every week, some of it's got to stick. <laughs> and you know what you remember? You don't remember just what you read. You don't even just remember what you read and what you hear. You'll remember more if you read it, hear it, and write it. Seeing it on the screen might help. But you know where the greatest memory retention comes from? Tell it to somebody else. In giving the bread away, you get to keep it. So the best thing you can do for others and best thing you can do for your own soul is to study the Word of God and to share it with others. There was a, uh, a quote here I wanted to read to you from the book Great Controversy, page 51. Satan well knew that the Holy Scriptures would enable men to discern his deceptions and withstand his power. It was by the word that even the Savior of the world resisted his attacks. At every assault, Christ presented the shield of eternal truth, saying, It is written. To every suggestion of the adversary, he opposed in the wisdom and power of the word. In order for Satan to maintain his sway over men and establish his authority, he must keep them in ignorance of the scriptures. You know, the Seventh-day Adventist movement is at risk of going through the same cyclical movements of every revival movement through history, where they start out like Ephesus and end like Laodicea. They start out in love with the Lord and on fire, and they go through the various cycles, and two or three generations later, it becomes a culture and a club, and you ask the people about the foundational beliefs, and they have no idea what they believe. Do you think, you know, in the Lutheran church right now, they're sort of reunifying with the Catholics? 
they're, you know, they're ordaining gays and all kinds of things I won't go into. How do you think Martin Luther would have felt about that? How do you think the, the founders of that movement would have felt about that when they were burnt at the stake for those things? Are we immune to that kind of trend? Have we maybe lost, are we at risk of losing the fire and love for the truth that God gave to this movement? You know, I think God's going to do something different this time. I think with the remnant church, there is going to be a revival of the faith that was once delivered unto the saints before the Lord comes back. And I think I see it happening with programs like Army, and GYC, and others, where the, the members, the people, are rediscovering the power of the truth. And you know, friends, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist because it's a denomination. No one in my family was. I, I have really no loyalty to the denomination for the sake of it being a creed. My loyalty is to the Bible. And it just happens to be, this is the movement closest to the Bible. And at this point, I am able to stay within this movement and freely preach my convictions. Nobody at the conference faxes me sermon notes I have to preach. I hear all kinds of strange things in case some of you were wondering. But, um, and this is the truth. It's the Bible truth. It's not that this is what my church believes. It's this is what the Bible teaches. And I think that there are people everywhere now that are discovering this. I don't know if some of you hear the Bible Answer program on uh, Sunday nights, uh, but it's really fun if you sit in the studio there. We have guests almost every week. When, before we ever go on the air, we have a computer screen with 10 phone lines and they light up before we ever go on the air. And, you know, we started out, when we started the program 16 years ago, we had to call our friends and say, call in a Bible question. <laughs> We're just on one or two stations. <laughs> Hi, this is Bob, you know. <laughs> well, who did Cain marry? <laughs> and we were really grasping, but you know, we, we began to add stations and the audience began to build. And, you know, for every person calls in, how many of you have ever listened to talk radio, but you never called, but you're listening? For every person that calls in, there's like 10,000 listening that don't call. And based on the volume of people that call in or try to call in, AT&T actually takes records of how many people hit trying to call in during the program and they can't get in because all the lines are tied up. There are so many people out there that want to know the truth and we are being as straight as we can be. We're saying Saturday is the Sabbath. We talk about the state of the dead. We tell them to go to the Deadwoods. And all these people who we know are not Seventh-day Adventists are going, how come I've never heard this before? How come... This makes sense. I've always wondered about that. I've always thought this, but I never... People out there are hungry for the truth we have. Jesus said, the harvest is great. The labors are few. There's an abundance of bread. If we take what we have and give it to Jesus, he will multiply it and give it to, back to us and he'll feed the people. Because friends, the world is starving for the truth that you and I have right now. You know, just in closing, I'd say uh, the key is going to be your personal devotional life. And there has never been a generation in the world that has been so bombarded by an absolute fire hydrant of information pouring into your senses every day. No generation. Um, because the way we can record now and reproduce on, on massive scale information just driving down the road. If it's not the radio, then it's the billboards, and it's the person listening to the radio in the car next to you, that we are constantly bombarded with information. The Bible, you know, people used to live on a farm. They'd get together in church once a week. They'd hear the preacher preach, and they'd think about it all week long because that was the only really outside interesting thing they'd heard. But now, folks are scarcely out of the church before they're taking their iPhones off the vibrate mode and checking their email and, it, and we're so quickly distracted that I'd suggest to you that if the word of God is gonna take root in your lives without being snatched away by the ravens, you have to compensate by studying more than any other generation. Did that make sense? 
you've got to compensate by praying more. We don't, we can't, not going to be able to get by and praying the same level as other generations. The devil has intensified his attacks because he knows that time is short. We must compensate by God's grace and intensify our study, intensify our prayer, because he's trying to wash it out of our lives with all these other things. And some are good and some are bad, but the cares of life, Jesus said, can, can make you where you're unprepared for the second coming. So my appeal to you is you've got to fill your mind with the Word of God. You've got to fill your heart with the Word of God. You've got to surround yourself in it. Have it on your phone. I've got the Bible on my phone. I've got it on my laptop. I have it in my car. I try to surround. It's on our tape player. We still have tape players, believe it or not, in my house. <laughs> we'll go to sleep at night. We put Bible tapes on still. We're just Alexander Scorby. That's how I learned to pronounce Bible words. And just surround yourself with the Word of God, and it will transform you, and it will keep you from sin. And the more you look at Christ, read about Him, the more like Christ you'll become. And then uh, it'll, it'll really mean something to you when you pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Amen. You'll have something to give others. Can I pray with you before you close? Why don't we bow our heads? Father in heaven, Lord, for these reasons we've addressed and millions of others, we need to really know you. We need to be completely saturated in our very core, every fiber with your truth. It's a truth that will transform us. It's the truth that's going to set us free. It's the truth that will keep us from sin. It's the truth of your word that will empower us. I pray that we'll come to appreciate what a treasure you've given us in this blessed book. And Lord, I, I ask that your spirit will be in a very special way in this meeting, through this weekend. I pray it can be like a, a rock thrown in a lake that will just ripple out as people return to their respective places uh, with a love for your word that will just exude and emanate from them. Bless the leaders and bless the plans. We pray that you would evict any evil influence that would come in and distract and just fill this place with your angels and your spirit and fill every mind with your very mind. Thank you for your blessings this night and be with us through the rest of the evening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.